0: makers of sport podcast episode 102 with barton damer Welcome to episode 102 of the Makers of Sport podcast. I'm your host, Adam Martin, at Martin on Twitter. My guest today is the owner, creative director, and lead designer of a Dallas, Texas motion design and 3D animation studio that creates national work inspired by pop culture for high-level clients such as Nike, Under Armour, Vans, DC Shoes, Marvel, the NFL, and many more. In addition to being a creative entrepreneur, he's also a skateboarder, basketball junkie, and perhaps most importantly, a family man. I've followed his studio and have been a big fan of his work for nearly a decade. And I'm very happy to welcome to the podcast, Barton Damer of Already Been Chewed. Welcome aboard the show, man.
1: Hey, thank you very much for having me on.
0: So I mentioned uh, briefly before the show that this podcast tends to have an entrepreneurial bend as it regards to the business of creativity and sports. Um, I know that already been chewed doesn't necessarily specialize solely in sports related work. However, a lot of your studios work is for clients in sports entertainment and the studio itself uh, has a bit of a sports origin from your history skateboarding. So for my listeners that aren't familiar with you or your studios work, can you kind of fill them in on the name already been chewed and why you sort of chose to brand yourself that early on?
1: Yeah, absolutely. So, um, we are doing quite a bit in the sports marketing industries. Uh, a lot of that translates into sneakers. Um, but that has come along with its shared, um, I should say like TV show graphics packages on various networks. Um, everything from ESPN to, uh fox sports um the nfl network um nbc a bunch of different uh sports shows sports pack graphics packages uh have always been kind of in the mix and super fun uh to work on um and then on the sneaker side of things um, having worked with nike on a variety of sneaker releases everything from uh kobe bryant shoes uh to working with Under Armour on Steph Curry's latest shoe, the, the, uh, six shoe. Um, so myself, as you mentioned, um, have a background in skateboarding and basketball. Those are kind of like my two big loves in life growing up for sure. And have just carried on with me and, uh, fortunate to have, uh, teenage boys that also love, uh, basketball quite a bit. That's awesome. Uh, they didn't carry over the love of skateboarding quite as much, uh, but they still enjoyed the the culture, just not the injuries that go along with it. Yeah,
0: yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's interesting how those two, how uh, skateboarding, uh, really both of those sports, honestly, like sort of span into other, cul- like just culture as a whole, like fashion. Um, I've always said on the show that basketball is, is one of those sports that really influences like all culture, like hip hop culture, um, yes, everything. Right? You think about, you mentioned the sneakers? I'm a, a, I would call myself a recovering sneakerhead. I used to like <laughs> really, yeah. be a hardcore sneakerhead. But as I get older, I start to, I'm, I'm kind of passing it on to my, my kids. I hope that one of them wears this. I wear a size 13. I'm hoping one of them wears yeah. that. so I can pass some of these things over to them. But um, right. So yeah. I, I do understand that in college. Um, you weren't necessarily a graphic design major, right? And then a skateboarding injury kind of led to a change of pace?
1: Yes, Uh, so I went off to college, and for me that was basically a new city uh, with new skate spots to go check out. Um, And so three weeks into my freshman year of college, um, I blew out my ACL uh, trying to do a kickflip over a gap and my back foot dragged off of the tail of the skateboard causing me to do the splits, um, which led to some excruciating pain uh, where I just felt like my knee was dangling from or my leg was dangling from the knee down. Um, so what happened was uh, I ended up having to basically limp around the college campus. Um, you go through a period with the doctors where, you know, they want to see, is it actually torn? Can, you know, give us three to four weeks and then come back if you're still having issues and then we'll give you an MRI, you know, and this was also back in 1994. Um, so first semester of college, uh, kind of limped around and then had surgery at Christmas, Um and then basically limped around uh, recovering from the surgery. After that, so the entire freshman year, uh, the only two ways that I, I knew how to meet people previously were through either skateboarding with them or playing basketball with them, and I could do neither of those uh, at that time. So I was actually a public relations major, and the uh, required one of the required classes was an entry level drawing uh, course. Oh, that's and interesting. So yeah, I think we were just required to take it so that we could have a knowledge and communicate with artists if right. we needed to uh, in some sort of agency environment. and um, and i I quickly discovered that I was good at drawing and painting and uh, spent all my extra time and effort up in my dorm room just pouring into those projects. So, I will have to say uh, for sure that my my mom is obviously a, a big influence in my life, but she was an art teacher
0: in high school. Okay. Uh-huh.
1: Um, so but, maybe you know from you picked me, up
0: some subconscious things over the years.
1: Yeah, I mean, I'm not definitely not like oblivious to art. I grew up around my mom doing it and things like that. But to be honest, it just wasn't interesting to me. You know, yeah. like the the whole I don't know Rembrandt, Van Gogh kind of stuff. Right. I right, do don't, right. really, don't really connect with that personally um and so uh, i would say in high school you know i was more into drawing tony hawk skulls on right. you know, skateboard <laughs> graphics and and things like that uh and you know just doodling in my notebooks uh, was about uh about as interesting as it got for me um and so then that freshman year when i blew out my acl it was definitely like a moment of okay I can't do the things that I expected to be able to do my freshman year of college. Now, what am I going to do? Uh, and just kind of a soul searching moment of, uh, what am I supposed to do with my life other than look for new skate spots while I'm at college? (laughs) Right.
0: Right. (laughs) Which, you know, what's funny is, uh, just kind of the era that, um, that you and I sort of, uh, I think you're probably just a, a little bit older than me, but, I, I've kind of grew up in that same similar era where it's like pre YouTube and pre like the whole influencer kind of thing. Yeah, and it's like, yeah. now you could have a total career. I always crack jokes about those. Um, you remember and one uh, like the original and one like mixtapes and. Yeah, of course. Yeah. So uh, and you remember like the artwork on the covers and it was like super hard to, to get your hands on them. Yeah, that every one of those guys in today's like day and age would probably be just an influencer with tons of followers on YouTube and all that. The, and I, the, the guy that came out a little bit later, the professor actually did end up, I Yeah, he is. And he's got like a million subscribers, <laughs> yeah. I want to say. But he's he's sort of post, you know, some people look at him as like, oh, that's the N one era. It's like, no, that dude was way later, man. The N one era was like Ray for Alston and those <laughs> those guys. <laughs> right. <laughs> Um, so you you kind of moved on and, and chose graphic design, right is that the uh, how did you discover that graphic design was like a thing?
1: Yeah, I mean, so in college I had that entry-level drawing course uh, found out that I was actually good at like drawing uh, photo realistically and painting photo realistically uh, and so uh, people encouraged me to switch my major to commercial arts so I was learning everything from, oil and acrylic paintings to uh photoshop version two uh you know is that pre is that pre layers oh uh you know layer i don't know to be honest i don't remember i would i would assume layers was part of it but i don't know when those were introduced yeah but it was it was definitely from 90 1994 to 1998 is when i was in college um so i was learning you know uh definitely principles of design as part of the commercial art degree. And then um, I had an internship that really kind of changed things for me because a lot of times in class, you're getting assignments, you're not necessarily learning a whole lot. Um, And so I had this internship, I believe it was between my junior and senior year where for the first time in my life, I got paid to sit there and learn. Um, and that made a huge difference on, on me and my career because, uh, the design studio where I was working made it pretty clear to me that like, Hey, you're not super useful to us. So you need to just sit there and learn a bunch of, uh, tutorials. And so I got paid to, to learn tutorials. And
0: (laughs) I think that was about how my internship went too. It was like, you can't really do anything. (laughs) Yeah, you can maybe here's here's something that's already been done. Everything's locked except for the type. So you can change some words for us. But other than that.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, you know, I was uh, I was athletic. I enjoyed skateboarding. I enjoyed basketball. And so this was the first time where for eight hours a day, I wasn't, you know, pushing shopping carts at Costco for a summer job or on a cash register. But I was actually just sitting there and I, I had nothing to do except tutorials. And so I went back, I believe it was my senior year, and I just knew so much Photoshop and so much Illustrator uh, far beyond my classmates. And it was kind of eye opening as to like, wow, I, I'm like basically self-taught this summer.
0: Right. Well, you, and now that you mentioned that, the whole pushing cards thing, I did that as well at, at, at Kroger. Um, <laughs> yep. And and it's kind of it's kind of funny. I was talking recently to uh, a, a gentleman that's going to be my next guest. Uh, his name is Insung Kim. He's a the senior creative director for the Atlanta Braves. Um, so we were talking almost about like this sort of blissful ignorance you have when you're young, and you're like, "This is way cooler than you're sitting here getting paid." Even it's doing even it's doing some production work or something that's not that interesting creatively. The fact that yeah. you're sitting at a computer making something. Whereas before you were just like pushing cards and dealing with the public. There's a perspective there that I really wish, uh, that I, at least myself, I could have kept over all the years. Right. Cause now it's like, here we are 10 years later and you're like, oh, you get, you get bummed out by some job that maybe doesn't have like, like every job has like, it feels, feels like, um, nothing is like one, 100% dream, you know? work right like you're not just making super cool stuff all the time at least, i mean i assume i you know it seems like that at least that's been the case for me I, you you guys may be actually cranking out everything just super awesome all the time and no <laughs> production work kind of stuff but there's but any even so in as an entrepreneur there's always those little things you have to do that are just like eh, i gotta look at these books or um right do the accounting stuff and all that and it's there's there's a perspective of those young years that I feel like that I I, w- I wish that it was easier to sort of retain that. Right. If that makes any sense so that we could like sure. look back at that. Um, yep. So I, I, I understand that you, you eventually moved on, had a graphic design career working for companies as an employee before starting ABC and you really began building your business as a freelance side hustle. Uh, yes. This, that's intriguing to me because uh, I, I screwed up and didn't do that. And when I get when people ask me like uh, about that, I'm like, no, you, you definitely need to work at a place and don't just quit out of your stubborn, <laughs> yeah. stubborn mentality and, yeah. and and do it. I mean, you'll you'll maybe some some people will learn from the school of hard knocks and, and get through that, but it's definitely not ideal. So can you talk about that mentality, that sort of method of the side hustle into the late evenings? Um, while you were working and, and you, I, uh, I think at this time you maybe had started a family or you obviously yeah. had some responsibilities to take care of.
1: Yeah. And, and just one, uh, quick comment on, on the, uh, go, like going freelance and, uh, and how you mentioned you might recommend doing it slightly different. Um, there's a big difference between starting a business, being an entrepreneur versus being a bad employee who quits to
0: become a freelancer. Right, right, right.
1: An employer that, or excuse me, an employee that just doesn't want to be told what to do and therefore becomes a freelancer is probably (laughs) going to have a a tough road ahead of them um, because they're not necessarily launching out to start a business. They're just launching out because they don't want to have to listen to anybody they don't like being bossed
0: around right yeah
1: Yeah, and then you quickly find out well guess what now you don't have one boss you have like 30 bosses depending on 100
0: your clients are (laughs) yeah exactly you know and and a little little sort of side note on that i was very fortunate that my father-in-law was a a business very business knowledgeable type person that had worked as an executive and stuff so he helped me sort of understand that hey there's a difference between like being a business owner and sort of just like a a dude that makes fun stuff and gets paid every once in a while and all all, all of that type of stuff. Right. I think it's important to have those sort of influences.
1: Yeah. Yeah. So um, back to your question though. um, I, I was working um, at a place called RT media group and a great job, great boss, great work environment. um, Really enjoyed it um and it was pretty much a you know nine to five type of job very very little overtime very little you know weekends or anything like that and uh and so it gave me a chance to do freelance on nights and weekends and rt media group was creating essentially stock videos motion backgrounds and things like that and so uh you know had a had a great relationship with my boss there was no kind of shady, um, you know, uh, conflict of interest uh, going on, you know, and so it was, it was a great situation where um, I was able to make more money for my family working nights and weekends uh, to help supplement because I was the sole provider as far as cash goes um, for a family of five, Uh, and so the ability to just be able to, like, slowly take on projects um, and and add on to the experience of actually working with clients. Uh, because where I was working, we didn't deal with clients. Uh, so I was having to kind of figure that all out from scratch. Um, I didn't have the luxury of of working at a large 3D animation studio and understanding what an executive producer does, or what does a creative director do, or any of that, because uh, I didn't come from that environment. So. Right. Um, to build a company uh, like that has been um, honestly just kind of looking at what makes sense to feed my creative itch at this stage of the business uh, and so we're definitely doing things I think different, uh, different than the model that is currently struggling struggling. and, and when I say that I mean the you know, 40 to 60 person studio that has layers upon layers of, of people. Um, we're, for better or worse, you know, nobody at our studio comes from that background. And so there's, there's good things about that. Uh, cause we're not, we're not doing it that way, but then there's also some bad things about that. Cause it would, it would have been nice to have that experience, uh, before launching out. Right. Um, but Worked nights and weekends uh, for about three years straight um, and uh, was able to fill my freelance schedule, uh, which was really cool. And that starts being very fulfilling to get the extra cash for your family uh, and be able to do that. And then uh, really started um, picking and choosing. Okay, sure, I can fill my nights and weekends with extra work, but can I actually fill it with anything that I care about or is it just extra cash for the family? Uh, nothing wrong with that either Um, but I was uh, I guess having the luxury of starting to pick and choose what I wanted to work on in the nights and weekends and begin charging more for it Uh, and so um, got to a point where the work that I was doing nights and weekends was winning awards it was being featured in magazines Um, in 2009 uh, I won the digital artist of the year award from computer arts magazine, which at that time uh, computer arts magazine was the industry leader in digital art. And it was just, yeah, it was know.
0: awesome. I think that's where I discovered you at,
1: uh, cool. not to think about it
0: now. Where did, did you have, uh, uh, like a different, obviously the work you're doing at your corporate job during the day was going to be different than what you were doing at night. Was there, um, uh, was there a certain style or inspiration that you were looking at and you were like, I want to do that kind of work. And then you started to target that sort of work and you almost kind of had like these two personas, I guess, like the guy that you were during the day and then who you were at night.
1: <laughs> well, I think, yeah, I mean, for sure, because the the work that I was doing nights and weekends uh, was stuff that I was just um, I was passionate about both. Like, it's not like I didn't like what I was doing during the day.
0: Right. Like you weren't mailing it in during the day. You're still giving them no. the best effort.
1: No, so I think, you know, when you when you're hitting on all cylinders, things are working for you. <laughs> you know? And so uh, so I think the ability to be able to, to to do a lot of good creative work during the day and then come home and do a different kind of creative work, it was you know, at nighttime it was sneakers and skateboard companies uh and and things like that uh that i had never done before and i and at that time i think i'd been in the the design game if you will for 14 years or so and so for the very first time in my career i'm i'm starting to talk to sneaker brands and sports brands about doing work for them so I, 14 years in I, and i almost feel like a rookie in the game uh getting started with my freelance career. Cause like I said, I, I wasn't exposed to large brands um, or opportunities like that because I didn't work at a big famous right design or 3d animation studio um, out of New York or LA. I didn't have that, that luxury, unfortunately.
0: There's something to be said for that too, because uh, we sort of live in this era where all these Like twenty-two year olds launch venture back startups and become multimillionaires, yeah. (laughs) And then everybody else just gets depressed (laughs) (laughs) because it's like, is that the way it's supposed to go? And 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 honestly, it sort of. uh, I feel like it sort of has given this false uh, representation of what life and career is about to young people. Uh, yeah. there's like, no, you know, people just think there's not going to be a struggle. And then when you do have struggle, it's like, oh, well, I better quit because I'm clearly not good at this. When yeah. in reality, it's like, no, man, you probably, uh, you know, I've, I've, I have this, I've adopted this mentality that <laughs> creativity, uh, is basically just something that you just, it, you have to do it basically until the end of your life. Right. Like you, it's a struggle. It's a constant struggle. You're like, you're never going to be, um, 100% satisfied with everything you did. I feel like yeah, uh, looking back, right. Cause you're going to obviously have grown over the last year or maybe your style has changed or maybe even technology. Right. I mean, think about that, that era itself, right. Uh, would from the nineties, the late nineties to, to even 2010, the technology changed tremendously in that age.
1: Yeah. It's interesting too, because I will, I will be talking with, um, younger talent, um, and rather than me interviewing them, it turns into them interviewing me to see what can, what can I do for them and what can my studio do for them? Uh, and so it's, it can be quite an interesting perspective.
0: Yeah, that's like, definitely, it feels like some kind of a, uh, there's like been a shift in, <laughs> in all that, but there are, uh, there are some, uh books out there and at least articles and stuff that I've read where you see all these people that were super late in their career and they wrote some famous book or, you know, an author worked a career doing something for 40 years and then they did something later. There's some business guy uh, named Peter Drucker. I haven't really read any of his stuff, but I keep hearing his name mentioned on different podcasts and stuff. And I think they said that he wrote like six of his most famous books when he was like in his seventies. Wow. So it just goes to show, man, like it's, it's one of those things where you basically just have to keep persisting until the end. Honestly, if you want to really, you have to do that no matter what. I mean, otherwise, nobody should give up on, on themselves early, whether, no matter your career, but especially creativity, because it's, we also live in an era where we see everyone's best, right? Like um, a lot of times those kids, even are going to be comparing themselves probably to your most recent Under Armour work. Right. And it's like, sure. Oh, I can't, I just can't get it to look like that. And there's like a a level of, of finessing that happens over the years to make things look photorealistic and, and all that, that you just, some people just don't have in the beginning, but it's not to say that they won't ever get it. I would, you know, you would think.
1: Right. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, like I said, I was, a good 14, 15 years into my career before I started working with any brands that I would consider, you know, quote unquote dream, dream gigs.
0: So part of that, uh, I, you, you obviously were doing graphic design, some of the more print and static work and then uh, moving into web. And I, I've heard you mentioned before, or read somewhere on, uh, you're talking about doing some flash at the time, yes. which exposed you to motion. Right. Yeah. And so now, um, this sort of transition into motion graphic design—like, where did you kind of hear about that? Because we obviously didn't have back then the YouTube tutorials and coms and Andrew Kramer yeah. and those type of people. Yeah. Um, it was it was harder to get exposed to that. So how did you get exposed to it? And even even more, how did you learn?
1: Yes. Well, I think it's it's very important to know and keep in mind as an artist, the market is what pays our bill, you know, as far as uh, it's advertising dollars that are paying us as artists. And so while we may not want to admit that uh, or if that just sounds dirty or feels ugly, it is the truth. Um, If if ad dollars are being spent somewhere else. Uh, we have a decision to make. We either, you know, stick to our guns and don't adapt and don't change. And therefore, you know, we either decide this is my art style. I'm going to stick with this one style. This is, you know, who I am and people will find me if they want it. Um, Or we have to adapt as artists and realize, okay, um, right now as a company had already been chewed we're doing very well basically telling stories uh for brands and in animated 3d fashion um but that's not to say that five years from now we won't be forced to move into ar or vr um so we have a decision to make as a studio plant our feet and say nope this is what we do and then you know that either phases out Uh, and we ignorantly keep our feet planted, or we have to uh, adjust and adapt. And so uh, that's essentially what happened with me. I graduated in 1998 uh, with a a degree in commercial arts. I was essentially ready to be either an illustrator or a graphic designer. Um, And as I'm graduating, it's kind of like, awesome, welcome to uh, your new career print is dead, you might want to consider <laughs> yeah. doing something else. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, yeah, so the two things I had studied for, graphic design and illustration, were were dying quickly, uh, is what I was told. So I uh, had to begin exploring, okay, as an artist, if I want to continue to do art, what is the market pa- uh, paying for? Um, and so then I was like, oh, okay, web design, that's what the market's paying for. I guess I will try web design. Um, and I very quickly found out that I didn't enjoy uh, designing websites or especially the coding part of websites. So, you know i I could jump into Dreamweaver back in the day or flash and build a website. Um, but by a programmer' standpoint, it was it was horrible, and it was just right. an online brochure basically. Um, and in in that, process and discovery phase of of messing around with web design um i did flash animated intros which um most people if you are i don't even know what age would know about this if you're 25 or under listening to this yeah probably they know probably wouldn't it may
0: even is. be 30
1: and under Right, but basically the internet was so slow you had to create entertaining animations to keep people interested while the website loaded Uh, and so I had a blast creating the entertaining animations um, but then uh, found out that people were annoyed by those and (laughs) nobody wanted to sit through those and then Uh, Steve Jobs
0: single-handedly killed Flash on stage when he (laughs)
1: Watch the iPhone. Yes. <laughs> 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 yeah. So again, left with another decision. Um, you know, okay, I guess uh, web design's not for me. Now what? Um, and then I discovered After Effects and started um, animating my 2D layers in After Effects, pulling them in from Photoshop, pulling assets in from Illustrator, and, uh, and began animating those things. Um, and so very quickly, people started telling me that I was good at motion design. Um and I, I and I think that I wasn't actually good at motion design, but I was a designer. And so I was making things look good first, and then I was just adding some motion to them. Um, and so because I spent the bulk of my time designing the style frame, the animation could come second and uh, and everything seemed to work well, and people were were digging the work, whether it was online or in person or, or things like that. So, um, got into motion graphics, uh, didn't even know, you know, what after effects was prior to that. Cause I was coming from flash. Uh, and then very quickly started realizing that my work felt kind of flat and lacking dimension. Uh, and a lot of the ideas that I had, I was having to pull from stock photography in order to get a building in my scene or, uh, you know, pull from stock photography to put a tree in my scenes and After Effects and things like that. Uh, And then that's when I started doing research and kind of found out what 3D animation was uh, and started seeing the work of back then, uh, you know, very, very famous studios like Stardust um, and Shiloh uh, were some big ones at that point um, and was just super inspired by that world um, because prior to that was actually pretty bored with graphic design and had considered switching uh, my job because you know I had tried the web design realized that it probably wasn't gonna work for me so now what am I gonna do am I just gonna try and do a different career or what am I gonna do and uh, that's when I you know discovered motion graphics and started going down that path and uh, cinema 4d in particular Uh, I believe it was like maybe 2008 or 2009 before I ever touched Cinema 4D. So I had already been 10 years into my career. Um, I had three children already, uh, and had just discovered what 3D was and what Cinema 4D was, um, and uh, fell in love with it. And I mean that kind of rapid fire gets you into the story of ABC because it really changed things. Once I, once I landed on cinema 4d and chose that route. So
0: in the early years of ABC, were you, were you really focused on doing a lot of static stuff and, or were you Um, kind of in that transition when you started ABC, like you were doing some of the motion stuff? I was,
1: yeah, I was doing both. So my, my initial, I guess, um, breakthrough was definitely in the digital art space. Uh, and so I was kind of gaining attention and recognition from Advanced Photoshop Magazine, um, Computer Arts Magazine. Which, you know, this was ten years ago, and those right. magazines were, were industry leaders. And, and at there's that time. definitely
0: a difference between those two magazines and what was being sort of fed to the graphic design programs, which was like print magazine, uh, communication yes. arts, and like that. It's funny that kind of stuff seems like it wouldn't win awards from those magazines, right? It was like just a different yeah. niche of the creative industry.
1: Exactly. And I think computer arts was the only one that had embraced digital art and and was was putting out this kind of new innovative form because to your point, there was kind of like your how design magazines and there was a lot of typography. Um, and then the the flip side of it was like, you had 3D art magazines, or if you remember, there's like the Deviant Art community back yeah, then. I remember, um, and that was a whole world of just these insanely talented 3D modelers and sculptors using ZBrush, and I mean, you just you get on that website, and you would think. In order to do 3D, you have to like Dungeons and Dragons, right. <laughs> you know, <laughs> and there was like there wasn't a space for me in that world. Um, and so uh, the digital art, I think, kind of uh, helped bridge the gap between the two different worlds like that, uh, because it essentially introduced graphic design and 3d into this kind of new genre called motion graphics.
0: Well, it's funny you say that there wasn't a space for you in that world, because that's kind of what I always felt as someone that worked in sports design, right? Because it, you were, it seems like as a sports designer, you're sort of drawn to that look and, um, and there's like a high impact photography depth and sort of, uh, uh, I guess a, kind of a punch-you-in-the-face Entertain? Well, it's just entertainment, right? I mean, movie posters are the same way. And, like, think about the Avengers and all the technology-looking things that are in those type of movies. That's that's the type of thing that I feel like a certain group of creative people are drawn to. And that's part of why I started the Makers of Sport, because it was, it was like I, my first job was at a sports marketing company trying to do that kind of stuff for, like, sports posters. And it was basically, like, you, nobody that was a generalist graphic designer gave it any credence, right? It was like, oh, that's just that's not graphic design. That's just playing around in Photoshop or whatever. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? <laughs> right. So it, it's cool that you found at least somewhat of a community to help you help you push uh, to get going. Yeah. So I am curious though. From uh, you, obviously you started out and you're you're a one man shop, right? So you're cranking out work late at night. Eventually you make the transition. Uh, uh, and I'm assuming at at this point you're booked solid. You're making enough money to where you can make the transition into going full time as a as a business owner. Did you have any entrepreneurs or anybody in your family that you could that you could ask questions about, to, or you know, because there's a whole QuickBooks aspect of things and all those type of things that yeah. that nobody tells you about, sure.
1: right? <laughs> yeah. Well, I I mean, my wife thankfully does all of our personal taxes and always has. Um, and so I really didn't have to wonder or worry about, okay, how, how are we going to properly pay taxes and things like that? Um, and then, you know, very quickly, um, you can start bringing on an accountant and accountants are worth every single penny to pay them. And they're surprisingly not very expensive annually. Um, and so, you know, as an artist, those things can be covered and taken care of um without too much hassle um and so when it when it came time to launch out on my own it was uh during that year 2009 um you know i was getting exposure i was getting awards but i was still working my day job and and it was two different worlds. The people at my day job didn't necessarily know or care about the work that I was doing nights and weekends um, as far as like the, the type or the style of work, I should say. Um, and so uh, it was kind of this long soul-searching process where I was like, okay, this is really scary. If I launch out on my own, where's the work going to come from? You know, it became very important to me that I knew exactly what I didn't want to do if I launched out on my own. Um, and I, to this day, allow that passion to help steer what ABC becomes. Nice. So I know exactly what I don't want ABC to be. And uh, in my opinion, that's been more important than what I do want ABC to be. And the reason I say that is because we're almost 10 years old now. And if you had asked me 10 years ago what my vision for ABC was, I could have never told you that we plan to work with Disney, Marvel, the NFL, the NBA, Nike, Under Armour, Tiffany & Co., uh, and a host of other amazing brands that we're just super fans of. And we plan to do it from Wiley, Texas. Yeah. I couldn't have told you that but what I could have told you is here's what I don't want to do when I launch out on my own. I don't want to be doing business cards for real estate agents. (laughs) I don't want to be doing video production for real estate agents. (laughs) Um, I mean, you name it. I'm assuming uh, too uh, moving was
0: out of the question, right? I mean, the fact that you stayed there.
1: Yeah. I mean, it wasn't really something that we had considered, um, for a variety of reasons. Again, I I came from a kind of a non-traditional motion graphics background. So 14, 15 years into my career, honestly, who's going to hire me at that level? Um, You know, because I'm not even, (laughs) I'm not even necessarily production ready. I just have, you know, be creating things that look nice and hitting deadlines. Uh, But I've never worked with a group of, 10 artists or more underneath a, a creative director or an executive producer right. or any of that sort of thing. So it wasn't really on my radar to like, okay, let's see if I can move to New York and get a job at Shiloh or any of these other studios that I really looked up to. Um, I, I was able to freelance with them, um, early on. Um, so I was, I was freelancing, uh, with Troika, with digital kitchen, um, with Shiloh. And so that was really cool, confidence booster, having not come from worked at an agency like that, but to know that okay, my my work is good enough that they're hiring me to to be on these projects. Um, and so by the time it, you know I was ready to launch ABC, you know I knew exactly what I didn't want it to be, and I allowed that to kind of steer my decisions. And and the big motive uh, behind Launching out on my own was to be able to provide better for my family, um, and mathematically it was making sense. Um, so the the fact that it could be, you know, quote unquote, dream gigs and working with with people that uh, were around the world that I never thought I would work with um, it was was an extra bonus. Um, so do you have plans
0: to hire and scale initially, or because I'm assuming, I mean, when you the whole name right uh seems like most people yeah. when they start it's like oh we'll just do like uh barton damer studio or whatever
1: <laughs> yeah no i i definitely so okay <laughs> this is a funny part of it already been chewed actually started out as a design blog back in like i want to say 2008 uh or so and at that time you know blogs were huge um and so i was doing everything from Basically, being an influencer before there were influencers, yeah. <laughs> um, I was, you know, trying to be a tastemaker in the design space. So, I was posting work that inspired me, and then every fifth post, guess what? Here's my work. That's cool, <laughs> you know. <laughs> um, and so, I was trying to become a resource of like, oh, if you want to know where the good stuff is these days, you want to go to already been website you're going to see all, all these other artists that, uh, already been chewed is posting about. And then every once in a while, you're going to see already been shoots right too. Um, and so that's, that's, the jab, that's what, jab, what was jab, happening. Jab, right.
0: Hook, right. That whole Gary Vaynerchuk.
1: <laughs> yeah, <laughs> exactly. Yeah, totally. Um, and so that's, that's how the, um, already been chewed started. So when it came time to launch my own company, I already had an incredible Google SEO. Uh, you know, the the ratings were fantastic. And I, I was thinking to myself, man, if I start something new, no, I'm going to have no foot traffic to the site. Like, nobody's going to know about it. Or yeah, terrified. you
0: had brand I, equity.
1: Yes. Yeah, and so there was a little bit of a like, okay, are, are people going to be mad that it's now converted over to like, Definitely just my business site, Um, but it was a slow transition, you know, and then uh, definitely tried to like, okay, now every two posts are work. (laughs) Then eventually you have a portfolio Uh, link up there. (laughs) (laughs) But it it made sense by the time it was official to announce like, hey, I'm doing this full time and and the name of what I'm doing has already been chewed. Um, it made sense that it's like, oh, here's the moment where it's no longer going to be a bunch of inspirational posts of other people's artwork. This is going to be like already been website. Um, and the other thing too, is back then everybody went under some sort of like rock star DJ type Uh of name, (laughs) you know, like guys like hydro 74 had a cool name, you know, like all kinds of people. I love and so, not, Yeah. I mean, every, so not that I wanted somebody to call me, Hey, I already been chewed. <laughs> you right. know? Uh, but I just thought that that was a, a clever. It was like name band names,
0: we- right? It was like, <laughs> yes.
1: Yeah yeah and it would it would grab attention but then it also had the nice uh abbreviation of abc for those people who don't want to say already been chewed out loud yeah no that <laughs>
0: is cool that that worked out well too it's funny there there was a website or something somewhere i saw one time that was it was like a quiz on uh is this a band name or a design studio <laughs> it was like really hard to, yes. to pick which ones they were yes
1: it was funny yeah yeah, so that's that's where um, that's where things launched from, and the name and things like that. So um,
0: that's awesome, man. So one thing that I think a lot of people wrongly assume when they decide to start a creative services business is that it's like, hey, you quit your job, you post a tweet that you're freelancing, and now you just expect the phone to start ringing or emails to start flowing out. Uh, so there's like this whole sales and business development aspect that. I think a lot of people don't understand. So I'm curious to hear your take on that. Cause I mean, I know that a lot of stuff is obviously going to come from word of mouth, but you guys are obviously going to be reaching out from a sales, like a sales perspective and trying to hit people up and get in front of the right people. Yeah.
1: Yep. Yeah. Well, I mean, I am, uh, I'm super inspired by this, this one thought, um, if McDonald's can make billions of dollars off of selling an absolutely terrible hamburger. <laughs> I think I can make enough money for my family doing really good design work. Yeah. And so I just, to me, that made sense. Like they promote their hamburgers so well that they've made billions of dollars off of it. I need to be able to promote myself well enough to provide for my family. And so – uh, you have to be a hype machine. You have to create hype around yourself. And most artists are very uncomfortable doing right. that because they feel they feel either brag like they're bragging or they feel like they're um, going to be made fun of online. I don't know what goes through you know people's minds as far as the reasons why they yeah don't. there's like Maybe an insecurity
0: right i think involved with creatives yeah or they just
1: think it's annoying when they see other people do it well Who knows? there's that um, too
0: right i mean that's where the, the modern era of social media is kind of a braggadocio look at me kind of thing but yeah. when you when you when you post stuff though are you posting it to impress other i mean that's the whole that's a whole nother mentality right it's like are you posting things to impress other designers or are you posting things to impress marketing directors because that's two different aspects yeah.
1: Yeah, no, I'm posting things because I've got five mouths to feed. Right, right, right. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm posting things because I got five mouths to feed, and I live in Allen, Texas, which no one's ever heard of. Um, so yeah, there's a there's a much greater motivation behind it rather than wondering or worrying about who thinks what online. You know right. what I mean? So um, there's there's no shame to my email game. Um, I'm definitely willing to hit people up and propose a bunch of work, uh, which I've done early on in ABC. Um, and then uh, these days we have a sales team. Um, but all that to say, there's no shortage of, of trying to generate hype um, because if people don't know who you are, they can't work right. with you. So before they can work with you, they have to know. And,
0: and is there, uh, I mean, at least in my experience, I'm curious from someone of, of your level, that you run into where a lot of times you you may shoot stuff off and you just don't hear anything. There's no responses. Oh, course, and then you're like, everything like, I do sucks.
1: <laughs> like 98% of the yeah. time. <laughs> but mo- most of the time people aren't responding, but they're, they're paying like a
0: attention. seed was planted. Yeah.
1: Oh, we, I mean, we get so many projects and all of a sudden it's like, I've been emailing you for like five years now. You've never returned my emails, (laughs) but clearly you're seeing them because you just called me to work on a huge release with you. That's awesome though, to to hear that that's
0: happened.
1: That's just the way it goes. Well, I think,
0: (laughs) you know, people get busy and they just, "Ah, I'll respond to this. And then they don't respond within like three weeks. And then it's like, eh, it's too late to respond now.
1: (laughs) Well, I can relate to it. My, my email inbox is an abyss of literally hundreds if not thousands of emails per day wow so i will i will literally talk to somebody that i'm interested in hiring and by the end of the day i don't even know how to search for their information (laughs) in my inbox again because i liked their work i talked with them on the phone but by tomorrow I have no clue who they are so that's part of the hustle is I really liked him I'd be or her I'd be willing to hire that person but unfortunately I'm gonna need them to hit me up two or three more times before this is gonna actually stick and so I know that about myself and my inbox and so I'm not really over concerned about the person on the other end receiving my email because they're already not working with me. Right, right. So so, so what's going to happen, they're either going to say, hey, this is annoying, stop, or they're just going to ignore me. But the worst that could possibly happen is they don't work with me, which they're already right, not right.
0: doing. Well, I think there's also, uh, you know, just from the creative aspect of things, obviously having a family changes things. And you're like, look, man, we just got to hustle to get food on the table. Like, it is it is, it is a different game now than, than any kind of yes. ego or like, what does somebody think about me or what award did I win or whatever? <laughs> and those types of things. <laughs> right. um, and a matter of fact, it's like, for me, having a family made me actually even enter like less awards. Cause it's like, I think I'd rather hang on to some of, some of that, that yeah, money. at least yeah. from a free, I'm not a studio or a freelancer, but uh, um, wow. so <laughs> I, I'd, I'd like to kind of get into, as we wrap up here, um a little bit more of some basic questions on like someone that doesn't know motion kind of that transition you made years ago like somebody like me I'm 36 I've always looked at motion like dude that's so cool I wish I could do that and then it's just the years pass and I just you don't ever dabble into it right and so it's Uh it's like now it feels like Everything is so much more complicated. There's like a million. I listen to a lot. I, I consume a lot of content just because I do this podcast. So I'll listen to like emotion design podcasts. I mean, like uh, Grayscale Gorilla and like those Cinema 40 uh, guys and that type of thing. And so I'm. it's like I'm somewhat familiar with the industry, but it seems like that it's there's so many things, so many softwares and all this stuff. So I'm curious if you could kind of give your opinion as a seasoned veteran, like a path for someone that is – a. a maybe a visual designer and wants to get out of the static game and make their stuff move like what should they get into first like would it be after effects would it be cinema 4d sure so
1: there's there's a lot of different personalities and uh different types of uh mindsets within this creative industry that's motion graphics and 3D animation Um, you know, I've come across guys that are very technical and know the software way better than I will ever know the software or care to know the software. Um, And sometimes those guys uh, don't necessarily have an eye for design. Um, But they are fantastic at being able to, you know, you name it, get simulations to do things, get refraction to interact properly and look photo real. Um, and so depending on the type of person you are, you may want to focus on you know, being a designer. Um, and so for me, that was always my focus. I want to make something look amazing and, and then the animation is gonna be secondary and that's kind of where I, I focused. And so I tried to get really great at design and uh, and and pretty good at animation. Um, and so uh, there are others, though, in this industry that are going to just be very technically savvy and do things with thinking particles and do things with uh, espresso that I don't know, I will never know. Um, and so there's there's really uh, those different types of people within this industry. And man, when you can put uh, a very artistic person combined with a very technical person, you get some really gorgeous things. And, and then there's the rare person that can kind of juggle both sides of that. Um, but I would I would say, you know, f- focus on your designs, make your designs look really good, be strong at being a designer, and then when you're ready to animate. Definitely go for our After Effects first, start animating your, your strong you know, graphic design concepts, um, basic key framing inside of After Effects. And next thing you know, you're gonna have some really nice looking, you know, kinetic type videos, uh, explainer looking videos, things like that. Um, and then you wanna move into 3D. And for me, that 3D um, software was Cinema 4D. Uh, and the reason I chose Cinema 4D is because i was used to illustrator paths coming out of adobe illustrator Um, i was used to layers and layer modes coming out of photoshop and cinema 4d worked with both of those things i could add layers i could add layer modes i could import uh, illustrator paths of a logo that i had created into cinema 4d and within minutes i've got a 3d logo and a 3d environment beautifully lit and textured using photoshop files uh, that i had uh, created textures in using photography, you name it. Uh, so that was kind of like the quick like graduation from the Adobe suite into cinema and being able to use my knowledge of the Adobe suite to be able to get some, some results relatively quickly in cinema 4d. Um, I will say that things, things are changing, um, as they always do. And as we talked about at the beginning of of this podcast, um, if somebody were to start out right now i'm not sure that i would even recommend that they go the illustrator photoshop route um if their ultimate goal is to be in the 3d space as a a designer or an animator i still hold to the advice you you know you you've got to make something look good you've got to understand color theory you've got to understand lighting principles uh composition those are going to be crucial um but with the way the industry is going i mean i'm seeing kids online that are they're skipping all of the adobe suite they're going straight to houdini unreal and unity um and they're they're doing amazing stuff and so the unreal that's the what most is built on right yeah this is all like the real time gaming engines but you know it's it, Everything's headed to real-time rendering, things like that. Um, you build, you know, you build real deal video games, but also a lot of uh, immersive, like live experiences for clients are, are happening in both Unity and Unreal now. It's not just for video games anymore. Uh, and then Houdini is a very, in my opinion, uh, complicated software for that person that is a little bit more technically minded. Um, it does require. From what I understand and from watching some of my guys at the studio work in Houdini uh, you do need to know some code to get it to do some really cool stuff Um, you can follow some tutorials and get it to do some some very cool things uh, pretty quickly Uh, but then as soon as the client asks you to kind of change it if you don't really understand um, you know the code and what what you need to do Beyond that tutorial, uh, you can get yourself in trouble quickly with some of those Houdini tutorials, from what we've That's seen. That's pretty fascinating. Is it a uh,
0: is it a is it its own language, or is is it like a common sort of coding
1: language? Um, I am not aware of that side of things, unfortunately. So I'm not sure what gotcha. what programming uh, they use on that. It's
0: interesting. It's kind of yeah. like um, uh, what I'm what I'm hearing as as someone that works. I do a lot of web design work and at one point in time it was like if you hired a web designer (laughs) some people think when you call yourself a web designer you're going to get like this end-to-end solution from this one person right and it's like oh no I actually do UI and then I'll partner with a developer that does all the back-end programming and all this stuff so it's almost like a similar sort of thing
1: yes it can be it doesn't have to be um but but for sure I think um you know when you when you get into a little bit larger studio and you're essentially, uh, putting together a team, you're looking for different people with different types of expertise, uh, rather than, you know, all generalists. Nice.
0: So in wrapping up here, um, Are there any future technologies or things? You obviously mentioned AR, VR, those types of things. Where where do you sort of see this whole thing moving into? Is there, I mean, are we going to eventually have like holographic technologies that you're basically, at at one point, you're going to be forced to, if you want to do almost this, you talk about creating environments, right? Like as a designer working in motion and entertainment, all those things. Essentially, now you're creating like a physical environment.
1: Yes. Yeah, I mean, I think we'll all be in in the AR space, uh, no doubt. I think it's going to become easier and easier. I think it's going to end up being literally like an export button out of uh, Cinema 4D or any of the other 3D software packages. Um, so I do think the companies that can afford the R&D to get into AR and VR and have been into it for several years now, um, you know, there's obviously – a lot of money to be made when you're at the forefront of technology but it also costs a lot of money to be at the forefront of technology right. um, and so as a small studio we don't have the luxury of investing a lot of uh, time and dollars into the exploration of AR and VR um, but there's no question in my mind that it will be it will be part of the future it will be a regular thing I don't know about VR um, to me, VR, there's a lot of challenges there that I don't know it's going to be if it's going to become a, a general yeah, thing. It's still a <laughs> weird
0: user experience to put that thing on your head, and nobody wants to do that. Yeah,
1: <laughs> yeah, but I mean, the AR is already becoming incredible. Um, I, I've seen like Google Maps has released a version of Google Maps where you walk around, and in the in your video camera, it's putting up signage of where you should head um, within the city, you know, scene that you are pointing your camera at. Um, so I, I think that's going to become a regular thing. I think you're going to walk into, uh, you know, a foot Locker. you're going to point your phone at the new Steph Curry shoe, and there's going to be some really cool animations and information about the shoe that pops up and you watch it right
0: there. Oh yeah. We, and we've actually seen some of that with Brian Jordan. They did like a VR dunk that famous yes. like, free throw line dunk thing, which was <laughs> nuts.
1: Yes. Are, yep.
0: Are you guys doing much like, are you getting asked to do any, uh, much like UI work? It seems like motion studios are really getting into that space a little bit more now to show animations oh. and that type of thing.
1: Oh, gotcha. Yeah. Like uh, perception. Yeah, That's yeah, 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 that. yeah. Yeah. We haven't. No. Um, I think, Right now, we're in a space, and again, we're just kind of navigating it because, uh, again, the ad dollars are what, what pay us as artists. Right. So if if the advertising dollars switch up and and we need to reevaluate things, uh, we will definitely be keeping our ears and our eyes open to, to what we need to adapt uh, to do. Um, but uh, we've been in a space for the last few years where... We're doing storytelling, and we're doing it at a level that we never thought would be possible for us as artists, because uh, the idea of investing in 150 CPUs and rendering out basically what looked like Pixar movies for 30 second spots was was not in the cards, so to speak. Um, And kind of going back to, if you had asked me what my vision for ABC was, there's no way that I could have told you we'd be animating Mickey mouse, uh, with Disney, um, back in the day. Um, that is pretty
0: crazy, man. Just the content creation space in general, like social media has just changed everything. People are just craving these small, you know, short videos and and that type of
1: stuff. Yes. And so, you know, there's always going to be a place for telling a story and a, A director to tell that story and and I think of our studio as a whole as like one cohesive director so what I mean by that is um, I've done VR experiences before and yeah they were cool but they were kind of gimmicky Um, but you know you and I can look at a product a certain way but when we see someone else take a photo of that product and all of a sudden that product looks sexy <laughs> or or all of a sudden you see it from a perspective that you haven't seen, um, that's where the value of not making the consumer do work to, to fall in love with your product comes in. It's like, no, here's how we're going to show off your product to the consumer and it's going to be in a way that they don't have to work for it or think that they missed something uh, because they were in a VR space where they couldn't do that. So as of right now, you know, I think the storytelling aspect of things and, and being a director of, of what the consumer experiences has been very uh, valuable to the brands that are working with us.
0: That's well said, man. I think that's a a good place to wrap up. Why don't you give the listeners uh, your social handles, your website and just where they can, follow your work online and, and if they have questions, maybe reach out or whatever.
1: Cool, yeah, thanks for having me on. Uh, definitely want to give a shout out to my team at Already been chewed. there are nine of us. Um, and so everybody's got all different talents. We've got Houdini artists, we've got guys that are amazing at Cinema 4D, we've got salespeople, we got uh, my wife running the finances still. Um, so uh, just shout out to all of them. Uh, and the credible work that they are doing uh if you want to follow us as a studio it's just at already been chewed instagram is kind of our main love language that's where we're responding and interacting with people the most um and then my personal is at barton damer that's awesome man
0: i gotta ask real quick are your kids getting into some of this type of stuff
1: you know they actually are not uh it's funny they they like it and they see it, and none of them have really gravitated towards it uh, so far.
0: Got you. That seems to be uh, pretty common among the people that I've talked to on the show that <laughs> that do they run a business or like a design business, and their kids are like, yeah, it's cool, but I don't think I wanted to do something else. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> the grind, the yeah, grind is old- visible.
1: <laughs> <laughs> well, my oldest son is 18, and he's often said he likes – he wants to be on the phone negotiating contracts with Nike. Yeah. (laughs) So he likes the idea of, of doing something like that, but I don't think, uh, I don't think sitting at a computer trying to meet a deadline and, and pull your hair out over renders is <laughs> <what interesting. laughs> no doubt, man. No <laughs> doubt.
0: Cool, man. Well, again, I, I very much appreciate you coming aboard. Um, uh, like I said, I'm a big fan of the work that you guys are doing and, uh, wish you guys much luck and success in the future. So I'll, I'll keep watching and I'll obviously be sharing stuff from my makers of sport account with my followers. Uh, in a similar vein, uh, that when you started already been chewed is just um, sharing other people's work that inspire me. So, thanks again cool. for taking well, the time, it. man. Yeah, thank you. So there you have it. That was Barton Damer of Already Been Chewed. My next guest is going to be Insung Kim. Insung is the senior creative director for the Atlanta Braves. Prior to working in Major League Baseball, he spent much of his early career in the architectural design space, working on graphic design and branding for stadiums at a firm called Populous in Kansas City. Insung is a great friend of the show. He's a client of mine and a very well respected senior creative in the in house side of the sports business. You can follow him on Instagram and Twitter at EZero, which is at i z z i r o where and he is very active posting his work and engaging with the sports design community. I uh, want to say a big thanks again to Barton Damer for taking time to come aboard the podcast. I've been a very big fan of his work for probably around a decade now. I highly encourage you to follow at already been chewed and at Barton Damer. That's B A R T O N D A M E R on Instagram, and then you can keep up with what his studio is doing as far as uh, the portfolio is concerned on his website as well, which is TV. Past Makers of Sport episodes can be found in Apple Podcasts, and you can get there by going to makersofsport.com slash iTunes. Uh, you can find them on SoundCloud or at the website makersofsport.com. If you enjoy the content coming from the Makers of Sport brand and are interested in supporting the show, you can do so by joining the paid member community at makersofsport.com slash community. In exchange for your fiscal support, you'll have access to additional and ever-changing content, such as private Q&As with future former and special guests, monthly video hangouts, as well as interact, share private feedback, and build trustworthy relationships with like-minded professionals in the live chat. Additionally, taking one to two minutes and heading over to makersofsport.com/iTunes, clicking the five star and writing about your positive experience with the show helps others like yourself, discover the podcast and the value it brings educationally to people want, that want to work on the creative side of the sports business. I'll also accept likes or ratings on Stitcher, SoundCloud, or whichever podcast application you enjoy listening in. I'm at T. Adam Martin on social. The show is at Makers of Sport. Until next time, have a good week.